Hey everyone, it is Courtney and Devin here today with another episode of Eat Me and Question Everything. Today we are joined with Cassie and Cassie has a different perspective than what we're used to. So I'm just going to like ask you right off the bat, if you can tell us about yourself, what you do, um, maybe a little bit about where you got to where you are right now. And we'll just let you tell us all the things about meat. Perfect. Yeah. So my name is Cassidy Plum and I work uh, technically for a, a company out here in uh, Montana and I do direct to consumer sales in the beef industry. So um, my background stems from a lot of knowledge in the ag industry, ag commodities, uh, and I have fallen into this direct-to-consumer marketing when it comes to the beef industry. And so um, I've really had a lot of fun over the past few months kind of stepping into the TikTok space and uh, really sharing my knowledge. And uh, at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that we have educated consumers within the beef industry. Um, I guess my background started from when I was young. I grew up showing cattle. Uh, I've always kind of been interested in the cattle industry. I graduated college with a marketing degree uh, with an ag emphasis, and I moved into this ranch marketing space immediately out of college. So it's kind of my my first big step, my first big debut of, of uh, being able to use a platform and talk about what I've been working so hard on for um, a good, you know, five, five six years here. Um, so it, it's been cool to be able to reach people through social media. Definitely wasn't anything that I had ever anticipated myself being so involved in. And it's been it's been cool to get to connect with people over the past uh, few months on the TikTok space. So we love TikTok. <laughs> yeah, it's such a positive place to be <laughs> it's a shit show yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting to hear people's feedback but uh tiktok is really cool because you reach everybody right so people will uh ridicule you for anything that you have to say regardless of if they have any leg to stand on or not which is what's quite interesting about that platform specifically is that you get a lot of people who have a very different background than I do, and it, it, it really helps broaden my perspective, I guess. <laughs> so. so obviously you work in the meat industry. What yeah. specifically, um, the to consumer, what is it specific that you focus on? Yeah, yeah. So the company I work for, um, I, I do grass-fed beef sales. So uh, that's something that I've kind of, learned a lot about over the past few years. I, I grew up more on the feedlot side of things. Um, and so being able to kind of understand the grass-fed market and understand um, how that works has been quite interesting. I, I focus on delivering a quality product, a top-notch product to consumers. Um, and, and so it's definitely a higher end product that not everybody can get their hands on. But we, we really focus on uh, making sure people, consumers understand um, why it's important to eat clean meat and why it's important to just understand the meat industry, even if you can't afford that, that top, uh, that higher end product, the grass fed product. So uh, I would say what we focus on is making sure that we deliver the highest quality product, as well as also making sure people understand our story and understand what it really takes to deliver uh, good meat to our consumers and, and kind of this whole Mon Montana thing has been super trendy lately and, and with Yellowstone, obviously that's made a big difference, right? So people are really interested in getting their hands on this Yellowstone County meat, uh, which is where I'm located. So uh, we're really able to kind of push that, but not only is it a, a huge selling point when it comes to marketing, but we also believe that in Yellowstone County, we do have, uh, you know, very good ranching practices and we really try and preserve the Western tradition, so to speak, out here. So, uh, yeah, I I'd say a, a huge piece of this is just educating and making sure when people purchase product through me that they really know what they're getting, right? So transparency is huge. Now, there are a lot of levels of beef, like the quality and the feed. Um, can you kind of start us off? I, you know, obviously the, the top tier is basically your grass fed, your grass finished. And it kind of, not necessarily that the quality is, I mean, the quality is somewhat, you know, degraded 
the lower down the spectrum you get, but it's still very nutritious beef. No, no matter what is very um, nutritious, but what, what is the, you know, the kind of the ranking of how, you know, starting at grass fed grass finish, and then there's, you know, the tears, can you just go, I think you get what I'm asking. Yep. No, I hear you. Yeah. So before I get into that, I want to make it super clear that not everybody can afford this grass finished product. Right. And so that's something that I've heard a lot in my uh, space and in the ag community is like, we want to push this grass finished product, but not everybody can quite afford it. And it's not reasonable for the majority of consumers. So I, I don't want to talk down on a grain finished product, but um, I also do do believe in this grass finish that I've been selling over the, the, the past year, right? So um, we'll, we'll start exactly what you said. So the product that I sell is a grass finish product, which there's a lot of talk about this. It's actually, it's quite interesting. So, so grass finished means that the animal has been fed grass for the entirety of their life, right? So most consumers don't understand that, that in a cow-calf operation, um, and to be clear, that, that basically just means that you're raising your own steers is typically what it is, right? You're raising your own cattle on, in the same facility, in the same area. You're not, getting, you're not getting anything into your facility and you're not really exporting out either. Um, so all these animals that I sell have been within the same pasture basically for the entirety of their life. However, most animals are started on grass. I mean, they, they start, um, obviously they um, drink milk from their mothers and then they, they move on to grass. So uh, all, all, all cows are fed grass at some point in their life. I think that that's important to emphasize. So this grass finished product means that they're, that they're weaned from their mom. So they, they no longer drink milk from their mom and they, they're eating, eating grass. And then the end portion, right? That final, like, oh, we'll say 90 days, three months about um, is what's really crucial. And that's where you see the most differences. Are they getting grass those last 90 days or are they going to a feedlot operation where they're going to be finished out on grain? And you see a much different product, even though it's only a short period of time. Uh, and that's super important to, to understand. Um, and, and there's gonna be some variance there with the amount of time that animals are finished. But uh, grass finish basically just means that they are fed grass only. They never are given any corn, they're never given any, in, any grain. Um, and then we have kind of, so when I say that 90 day mark, we have some animals that kind of are in the middle there. They're not necessarily a feedlot animal. Um, and this is still a great product, right? They're, they're in the same operation. They're given grain, but they're not necessarily going to a feedlot. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about this, obviously. Uh, people really don't like to see the feedlot operations because it can be a little bit rough, right? They're very dense in these pens. They're very... Um, and you see these trucks go down these uh, alleys and they're dumping corn silage is typically what they're fed, um, which is fermented corn product um, that they're, they're putting in these, in these feed troughs. And that's typically what people see. And that's typically what people do not like is, is seeing these animals um, packed so densely into these pens in these areas. Um, so, so that's gonna be you know, your typical uh, grain finished product is that last 90 days, give or take, that uh, they're getting this, this grain type of um, feed. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of variance when it comes to that. And so it's important when you see the term grass fed from a marketing perspective, it doesn't really mean much. There isn't a lot of regulation when it comes to that, right? So just because you buy a product that says it's grass fed, it could kind of mean anything. It could still technically mean that it's going to a feedlot and we're starting to move away from that marketing. Um, however, it's still very, you see it a lot within the space of people kind of pushing this grass fed, even though all cattle are fed grass at some point in their life. And you can still use that term regardless of if they go to a feedlot or if they're finished on, on grass for the last 90 days, so. Yeah, I'm like, this is new to me as far as like hearing the term finished. Um, I, I've heard about grass-fed beef for years, but it wasn't until I got into the carnivore space like almost six months ago that I learned of grass-finished. Now, like, am I late to the party? Like, how long has this been like a term that's being used? Yeah, no, you're not late. I think it's very new. So, for example, my parents run some cattle and they're, they finish um, 
them on on grain. So you get a very different product than when it, if we were to get into antibiotics and hormones. That's a huge. These are huge marketing buzzwords, right? Um, antibiotic free and hormone free. So when you see a smaller operation, that's going to be a grass fed product, but they're still giving grain. Whereas when you move towards the feedlot space, people are still marketing as grass fed. So I, I think it's evolving right now. I think it's changed a lot and we continue to come up with new marketing terms as people kind of start to catch on. So when the knowledge, I want to make sure that I'm super transparent in my marketing. So when people catch on, that should be a good thing. It shouldn't be hurting my industry. It should be helping, right? So we want to make sure that we're super, super clear on, yeah, grass, grass fed has been used forever. And now people are catching on to it. They now want the grass finished product because that's what matters. Grass fed is just a term that can kind of be thrown around willy nilly. You don't really uh, need anything to prove that your animal's eating grass, although most of them do at some point in their life. So yeah, I don't think you, that you're late to the party at all. I think it's, I think it's interesting to see how we have to kind of shift our marketing um, on my end when it comes to these new buzzwords and new terms. And I'm sure next week there'll be something different, right? So uh, it's, it's been interesting to kind of watch the industry evolve over time. Now when, okay, so when you go into a standard store, let's just say Walmart, because Walmarts are everywhere and you don't go to the, the organic section or whatever, what percentage is, and I, this might be a variable that you can't really give an estimate on. I buy the very conventional, typical run-of-the-mill beef. Yeah. What is the percentage that that cow might have spent in a eating grass versus being, you know, grain finished? Oh, that's a good question. Sorry. That's a good question. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so so typically what we see is these these animals are harvested after about um, a year, give or take. So we so to give you an example, we just finished weaning most of the ranches here, which means you know taking the calves away from their mothers. So um, we just finished now. Um, they were, these calves were born, we did branding in uh, June, July, which is pretty typical um, for, for this area here, um, which means we calve a, a month or two prior. So May uh, calves, I would say. Um, so as soon as they're calved, they stay on their moms until, you know, for a good, you know, May, June, July, August, uh, seven months. That the, until they're weaned. So they, they are pretty big now that we're weaning them. And then, uh, so yeah, I would say it's about, it's about 50, 50 from when we wean. Um, sometimes these calves are sold at that point and go straight to a feedlot. There's a lot of variance there. Um, I would say as a percentage, it's about 60 to 70% grass. And then that end, you know, 30% is going to be um, either on grain or on grass, kind of just depending. And there is so much variance there, just depending on the animal. But what you buy at the store is likely going to be, um, you know, the last thirty percent of their life is going to be on grain. So, okay, yeah, yeah. I've heard that it that about at least sixty percent is grass um, yeah. fed. Yeah, uh, but that's probably the minimum. But most of the time, it's about seventy percent. They'll keep them on grass and yeah. then shift them that last 30. So that kind of yep. what I had learned. Um, yeah. But of course, we like to not be dogmatic and keep continuing <laughs> learning, even though everyone in this space thinks that we're super um, uneducated about these <laughs> things. <laughs> I do not think that. I've, I've did, done a lot of research on this, and I, I don't think that you're uneducated. I think anybody can I, on social media and comments, unfortunately. Yeah, it's more of the people who, the, the naysayers, I think a lot of people think that um, people, you know, Courtney and I are from the carnivore space. Um, so it's a little bit different than, I know that you kind of have that knowledge of where we're coming from, but I think a lot of people on social media come to carnivore, you know, or maybe even keto people, but mostly carnivore. And they think that we're just following Dr. Paul Saladino because he said it was good and we should do it. But I know that every single person we've talked to who has anything to do with this space has done more research into every aspect of meat consumption that you can really do without going to school for it. And then some of us have even gone to school for it. So I, yeah. I always like to poke fun at the people who think that we're not smart because we 
they think that we've just followed the <laughs> masses when I, I know all of us do our research so, so heavily. So, yes. Well, and that's something, sorry, I don't mean oh, to catch you. No, go, go, go. I, I just, I think it's interesting to see how people can pull these studies and pull, you know, use a doctor to back them up because there's a doctor that will say anything. There's a study that will back up anything you have to say, right? So all of this should be taken with a grain of salt because I've gotten into a lot of arguments, obviously in the social media space about this. And so, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is great and, and it's good to just educate people uh, in general, whether it's in the health, about the health uh, side of beef or it's or it's not just about the studies so yeah it's great um so back to like the cow's life so if I'm following correctly now talk about being educated or not um this might be a stupid question so they're the like the calves are born and like at seven months they're taken and then then they're fattened up for the next three so like we're eating like just one-year-old cows yeah Okay. Yeah, that's something that's been quite interesting. And typically that's kind of when they get shipped off to is yearling. Yearlings is how we refer to them. So they've been alive about a year. By the time they're harvested, it's more than that. It's usually longer, but I would say yearlings are, um, which is a super easy term to remember, right? Like they're, they're, they're alive for a year yearlings. So that's typically around the time we decide either to sell, sell off cattle or we keep them within our operation and finish them. So that's about the time. And so they are a little bit older than a year by the time you eat them. But yeah, I think that that's a really good point to bring up. It's a common misconception that these animals are alive a lot longer than that. And they are full grown at a year, but um, yeah, that's typically what we see. Uh, the, the product that you buy at the grocery store or wherever you choose to buy beef is gonna be, yeah, a little over a year that you, yeah, that you consume that animal, so. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. And I guess I didn't ever have an age in my head because it's not like I thought they were 50 year old cows. Yeah. Not that I even know how long they live, but yeah, I definitely wasn't thinking that they were like one years old. Yeah, I know. It, it's crazy. And if you ever go to like the county fair, for example, so anybody who's gone, that that's, that's, that's where I, I grew up. up in that. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah so I'm a 4 H person. 4 H person. Really? Yep. Awesome. I worked at, I did um, horse, I was a horse person, but um, we had some friends that owned a goat farm and a, um, a pig farm. So I grew up helping with that. And then everyone I knew had cows and all the things. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good way for people to understand this a little bit better because it's so accessible, right? You go to your county fair in the summer and you see these animals full size. So that's about the age. I mean, those animals at the county fair go straight. Typically, they'll get fed out a little bit longer. Um, and then they will be harvested after that. It just kind of depends a lot. I mean, at a county fair, you can purchase an animal um, and have it custom, uh, you know, processed through a butcher locally, which I, I do recommend that to people often is go to your county fair purchase an animal from these kids that work really hard to raise them and you can have them custom processed that way and those are probably going to be you know top tier animals these kids care so much about what their animals eat so it, it just it's a good education piece for people to go to a local county fair and see uh you know that's exactly what you're going to eat at the grocery store is that same sized animal um for the most part so yeah I think that's a good way to kind of let people understand uh, how old these animals are because they are full grown, you know, they weigh 12, 300 pounds at the county fair, so. Interesting. Okay. So, um, I, I think that you'll be able to get into this as well. Um, the, the number one thing that comes up is the environment. I, I know that you, I, I've seen this on your page, so I know that yeah. you get this. Um, there is this illusion and narrative going around because of the vegan um, trends right now, especially coming from um, like the big food corporations that somehow a mechanized and um, lab created food system is much more sustainable and healthy for our environment than cattle farming. And that can include everything from regenerative farming to your conventional beef, um, because beef is really what gets the heat of it. Um, no one cares about pigs or goat farms or chicken farms for the most part. Um, it's all the methane that comes from the cattle. And so there is a narrative in the industry right now that, oh my gosh, they're causing so much 
this is causing so much harm to the environment and um there you know in every way with the the pollution to the water consumption that it takes for the cattle to be raised um can you do can you talk a little bit about statistics with like greenhouse emissions when it comes to cattle farming can you even like the whole production in general because i feel like the cow like the gas emission from like the farts is super low but i think people's arguments are just the whole entire production of it in general yeah no this is very interesting and and that's a huge selling point on my grass-fed product is that we do really care about being sustainable and one thing i really want to emphasize is i think a big misconception within the cattle industry is people think hey you're taking up land that could be used to say you know farm vegetables that is not not could not be further from the truth right so most of the land that we use to graze our cattle we're we're using that because it can't be used for anything else so if we weren't putting cows on that land it wouldn't be used for anything um and so we practice the allen savory method uh so kind of a regenerative uh, ag uh system so we're grazing cattle and it, it's been shown over time to improve the, the land and improve the vegetation there and there's a lot of people that are in that space that understand it a lot better than i do but i do have some statistics um that i want to i kind of want to rattle off um that so sorry i need to look at my notes real quick but uh per pound beef requires less input from surface and groundwater to be produced than many commercial crops like avocados, rice, walnuts, and sugar. So there's a lot um, there's a lot of things that cannot be farmed on this land that we're grazing cattle. Uh, and it's so interesting for people to kind of have this perspective of like, oh, well, you're wasting land or you're putting all this carbon in, into the environment when in reality, it's a small fraction and I don't have the number off the top of my head. It's a very small fraction that, um, is being used or that that's emitting these uh, greenhouse gases into it's the 3.9 percent it's 3.9 percent perfect yeah. thank you i knew it was somewhere in there i just didn't want to be wrong and so it just like for perspective 3.9 just because i'm obsessed i'm a freak of nature about this yeah. stuff 3.9 percent is including all livestock all livestock like the yeah. whole thing um two percent of that is cattle farming specifically and i know that people get very well you can't compare emissions you absolutely can to put it yeah. in perspective energy production and transportation is almost 56 percent of all greenhouse gas emissions cattle farming is two percent of that yep yep two percent is the number that everybody loves to throw around right but it's true and when people hear that i, I hear all kinds of debate around this kind of oh like this isn't true or how do you know this and we see it a lot with the fake meat industry um and if you want to get into that a little bit uh we we see impossible foods often push this sustainability message um and, and the fact of the matter is we we can't get rid of meat we're not it's not going to happen and that's been pat brown the, the founder of impossible foods he's really been pushing this over the over the years right so he wants to completely get rid of meat consumption in the United States, at least. And he's even made strides outside of the United States to eliminate the consumption of meat because he doesn't think that uh, it's sustainable. And that's just not even not even a little bit true. Right. So uh, it's been interesting to hear the dialogue around this and and what people kind of have for feedback, because Impossible Foods, um, they're it's all marketing. And as somebody who works in marketing, I understand that that's, they're trying to push that agenda, but it just, it will never happen. We can never get to that point. So. Yeah. I, um, uh, I don't want to like criticize or call anybody an elitist. Um, but, um, I have really enjoyed reading, um, some stuff about how, um, the notion that everyone in the world could go meat free and we could get rid of farming as a whole is really just um, an out of touch elitist mentality because especially in other countries, um, farming and owning livestock is some of the only possession that females specifically will have. 
Um, and if you take that away from them, they have nothing and they own nothing and they have no rights um, because it is through ownership that they do get those rights. Um, and also there are a lot of areas in Africa um, specifically where the only access to nutrient dense food is livestock, whether it be a chicken or whatever. And uh, mm -hmm. if you take that away from them, they uh, don't have a CVS to go and get, you know, what is it B12, you know, supplements from and how they would be severely, severely the most affected people um, in the world regarding this idea that we should not be in control of animals. Yeah. Yeah, and it becomes an, a little bit of an ethical issue, right? So, I, I mean, I'm Catholic, and so and so meat consumption plays a big role in, in Lent, for example, you know, something small. And I, I mean, in, here in Montana, there's a, a whole bunch of Catholic people, and that's just, a, it's not even anything in comparison to other religions. Or, I mean, you get into this whole cultural issue where we cannot eliminate meat from, from our diets. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, even if like, I know that you guys push the, this carnivore, but even besides that, for people who aren't carnivore, this makes it, it makes a huge difference when you get into, um, you know, cultural issues. And so it, I don't understand how this will ever get to the point where we just come completely eliminate meat from people's diets. It, it can't happen. I am also Catholic. So I love to hear about it because I think yeah. very much in that sense too. And I think that that's like a good segue though, is there is if anything, I think one thing that meat eaters and vegans can agree on is we all want our animals to be treated in a, you know, and revered and respected while they're on and living on the earth. I think that that's something we can all agree on. And I'm sure as someone who works in the industry, you're like, yeah, of course. Um, there, so, you know, about the cruel treatment, what are some, you things that you have seen that you're like, yeah, this is what we're trying to work on and, you know, better in the industry and how, if, if that is applicable to what you see, what are, what are some steps being taken so that animals are treated in the best and humane way possible? Yes. This is a great question because I had a video go, I don't know if I want to say viral, but I had a video get a lot of attention wow. lately, which is how I, I think I was found through you guys, which is great, but kind of explaining the process of how we are I use the term harvesting um, because I think that it, you know, helps people to listen and understand. Um, I will say really quick, not to interrupt you. No, I've never good. heard that word before because you, when you think of harvesting, you think of like vegetables. And I heard you say it on that video. And then Devin, you know, Maria Emmerich just went, um, I just saw her post about going and uh, she hunted a deer. And she's like, I harvested a deer for my family. I'm like, oh my God, it's just so interesting because that's just, maybe I'm out of yeah. the loop with the hunting community, <laughs> but I've never heard of it called harvesting. So no, yeah, that's great. I think, I think it helps people kind of understand and make this less of an emotional, emotional yeah. deal because you have pets, you have dogs in your house and you, you know, you take them on as one of your family members. That is not why these animals are, are born in the first place. They're not born to be pets. They're born to, to be meat, to, to feed people. Um, and so I think I don't, it's hard to tell somebody what they should or shouldn't believe when it comes to ethics. But I think using that term harvested definitely puts it into perspective that just like a crop, just like a vegetable that you eat, we're raising cattle kind of the same way. And, and we have them on pasture, they're eating grass, we put these inputs into the animals. And then when they're done with their life, the reason that they were even born is, is to feed, feed humans, right? So it, it's hard to tell somebody what to believe when it comes to ethics. But I think if we can kind of change the narrative and make sure to answer your question, Devin, we're doing a whole lot to make sure that that process, the kill process, is is done in a, a way that we're proud of right so that animal's not suffering and i wish that more people i don't think people like to watch it but i think it is important that PETA video kind of forced it on on everybody so uh for background PETA had a video showing uh, a kill facility the video was uh, they, they did a good job. I, I thought the, the video uh, showed, it, it helped us in the beef industry. Um, this animal was killed instantly. There was no suffering, there was no pain. So when you get into this processing, that's typically what we go for, right? And there's 
think about when a cow is out in the wild and it gets eaten by a wolf or eaten by a coyote. Is it going to be that quick and painless? No, it's going to get eaten alive likely. So um, we're really proud in the beef industry of this process of harvesting an animal because um, there's no suffering. Uh, people will sit and argue with what cattle do or do not feel, which is a whole nother topic, right? Um, how much stress are these animals going through um, and that's really what it comes down to overall from when the animal is born to when it's harvested is how much stress uh, is it going through and one thing that we do at the ranch I work on is make sure that we're using horses to move cattle um, whereas some people use four-wheelers not saying that one is worse or better but there are some studies suggesting that um, moving cattle with horses for example is a little bit of a low stress um, you know plan so that's kind of something that we've made an effort to maintain, not only maintain uh, Western traditions, but also making sure that these animals have as little stress as possible and we don't handle them very much, which is also key. Uh, we give vaccines when needed, um, but we don't do anything over the top that would put these animals through more stress than they, than they need to go through, so. But what if, because people are gonna argue like, but you're, you're the exception, you're not, the rule is yeah. it the rule because I've seen um there there's a very popular dairy farmer on TikTok and Instagram and he yeah. like duets people all the time and it's like these animals are suffering and he literally shows his his you know he has a very traditional dairy farm very yeah. typical not what you would consider like an organic where you're getting your organic highly sourced milk or dairy products and these cows are like just lining up to milk themselves and they'll eat whenever they want mm -hmm. and they come up to him. And it, is that the norm though? Or are these, ex I know there's always exceptions. There are people who abuse the system in, no, in, in any way, but is the exception that most of these even feedlot cows are kind of, yeah, they might be jammed, packed and stressed a little bit more, but are they still okay from what we can tell? Yeah, no, that, that's a very interesting point to bring up because I do sell a premium product, like, like I mentioned, so it is kind of a higher price point uh, because we do XYZ. So I would say in the grass-fed industry, we kind of are the exception to the rule because they're mostly free range, you know, it, it's kind of similar to what you're talking about with this dairy farmer. Um, we are, we are the exception to the rule. And when we see videos of feedlots, I would say that those are gonna be extremes also. And so we have to kind of understand that the majority of the beef that you eat is gonna be somewhere in the middle. And we can get into even, um, are we able to feed the human population without using feedlots? I would argue that probably not. So I have a different target consumer than a lot of these, uh, you know, the feedlot animals, because it is a higher price point and people value, you know, have a different value, different values than um, people who are buying conventional beef. Um, and, and so, yeah, I would say grass fed as a whole is kind of the exception to the rule. And I think the feedlot industry is doing a good job of, you know, doing a lot of volume. Um, they're able to produce a lot more. I mean, you can utilize land more efficiently. So another point is that, hey, people who think that um, the cattle industry is bad for the environment, well, maybe feedlot is the way to go because they're able to produce more in a smaller plot of land, right? And so that's another point that's been brought up quite a bit. So is one better or worse than the other? No, I don't think so. Because I mean, when you, when you really look at the inputs and, and outputs from these facilities, it's hard to even compare you're comparing apples and oranges right so it's quite an interesting conversation when you get into that what is what is better feedlots or grass-fed i don't have an answer to that i think it's just a different target consumer and it comes down to your perspective and and what you value yeah one of the most recent conversations and engagements i had with a um a vegan was well we need to first uh they, they weren't understanding that a lot of farmland cannot be used to grow crops um, and he's, you know, this, I think it was a man had argued, you know, we need to get rid of the feedlots. We need to get rid of the, the livestock farms and we need to produce crops that can be consumed for humans. Um, and I think that that brings up another thing that I'd like to ask, but a point that I, I made was, well, you're under this illusion that people are not eating the livestock when that's really, you know, what the majority is. So for you to say that we need to grow crops that people can eat 
well, the livestock is being eaten by people. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a, you're, you're wanting to cancel one out with the notion that only crops can feed people when actually a large percentage of crops cannot be consumed by humans. I mean, what the, the statistic I think out there is that 14% of crops grown are actually able to be eaten by humans. And then the other 86% is used between like a, a variety of like ethanol, you know, things for the environment, like pr production of like ethanol and, you know, that stuff. And then the other, you know, another percentage is used to give back to the livestock because they can eat the things that we can't. So do you have anything to add on to that as far as like, yeah, don't, don't fall for this false narrative that like, yeah, you might see that only 14% of crops grown in the world can be used for human consumption, but they're not talking about the fact that 86% of those crops, it's not just you're feeding the animals, the crops that people can eat, you're feeding them the part that people can't eat. Right. Yeah, that's very interesting. I'll give a very small example of this. So I talked about corn silage earlier. So corn silage isn't just, you know, corn on the cob or corn kernels that humans consume, right? It's the whole plant. So yeah, cattle are able to digest this and they're able to eat a lot of, uh, a lot of a portion of a plant that humans can't. And so it's a great, it's a great use of, of crops and it's a great use of land when it really comes down to it because yeah, that statistic is so hard for people to wrap their heads around. Like, yeah, it's just a very small portion of, of the crops that are grown that are able to be eaten by humans. But yeah, I, I think I, I do have a little bit to add just, just because like I say, the corn silage or, or soybean, um, for example, there, there's a lot of, uh, portions of a soybean that we don't use, um, humans don't eat. So yeah, I think it's important to understand like these cattle are, are, they're not as efficient as other animals maybe per se, but, but they are efficient when it comes to giving them, you know, this feed, giving them, them these, uh, you know, portions of a crop that over of a plant that we can't eat as humans and being able to turn that into a nutritious, uh, food source for, for humans to consume. So yeah, I think that's a huge part of this is just they are they're able to make use of of waste basically yeah and you have to wonder if we were to take that waste and maybe put it in a huge pile you know like just like we do our garbage what kind of um byproducts would be created um in the environment because of that and i i don't know that like the decomposition i know some of it but it's just like in in mass copious amounts what would that do to the world? Because, um, you know, the, the, the waste that animals can consume that aren't grass finished, um, what is it called? Carbon, um, carbon, uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. carbon, yeah. carbon, what is it? Uh, what am I trying to say? You just said it. Carbon, carbon sequestration. Yeah, they, they're able yeah. to filter the whole, the, it's like a, it's like a complete 360 cycle with the carbon cycling. So. Yeah. No, you, it is. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. When it comes to the carbon, it's obviously something that we value quite a bit and we see an increase in uh, greenhouse gases, obviously. Um, and most of it doesn't even come from cattle, but I think it, it's an interesting point. Like what if we what if we didn't have an animal that could consume this waste? What would happen then? You know, no, it, it's it's quite interesting to, to hear that. And we see a lot of benefits from grazing cattle um, and how it improves, you know, uh, the, the land and soil health, um, which is kind of the big regenerative ag thing. And I think it should be important to everyone, whether you buy conventional or whether you buy grass fed, it, it should be important to care about the land and the soil because we are trying to um, be sustainable, you know, and, and make sure that we are raising a product that's going to benefit us in the long run, not just because we're getting a commodity out of it, but because this is land that's valuable and should be used for as long as we can. So, yeah, I think it's important to understand kind of this regenerative portion too, and we're putting carbon back into the soil that can be super beneficial. So, well, I have a bunch of questions, but let me, before I backtrack, um, the regenerative farming, because yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the ideal way. Getting grass-fed, finished regenerative farming meats are expensive, like you said. Do you ever see that going more like mainstream, where the price will then like eventually not be so expensive? 
I do. Yeah, that is very interesting to kind of predict what the market will do. I think it's eventually going to, well, first of all, I think there's going to be some laws that are going to be set in place when it comes to this. And we're already seeing this happen, right? So California has obviously made quite a few changes recently um, in their legislation about this specifically. I think it's going to be not only the norm, it's going to be necessary and people are going to require it legally, which is a whole other issue. Whether or not this should be implemented is one thing, but I do think overall it will become the norm whether or not it is in legislation, I don't know. Um, I, I think it has to be, and I, I think it's really important for consumers to understand that when they buy a product, it's going to directly affect, you wouldn't necessarily make that correlation, right, between you know buying beef and is this gonna help my grandchildren uh, live in a better, place. Um, but that's really what it comes down to, right? You have to think about, hey, when I buy my beef, um, if I have the money to maybe buy something more expensive, how is that going to impact generations to come? And how is that going to impact the planet? And I think it's important to just put that in people's heads. Hey, when I go to the store and buy a product, it's going to directly affect, you know, the environment and, and the land that we live on. So I, I think to answer your question in short, I do think it will eventually, eventually uh, move more mainstream to where the price will not be expensive, whether it's required or not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And and yeah, I mean, because it is expensive, but I think it's a good thing, even if you can't afford it all the time, maybe just once in a while, just kind of like as a way to like vote with your wallet, essentially like, okay, you can't buy it every time, but if we all do it a little bit, maybe that will make a difference or maybe it will just, I don't know, bring more awareness on it. Um, but okay, so I do have a couple other questions if that's okay if we backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So back to the harvesting, which I think is so much nicer of a word. I feel like when you say slaughter, it just, you picture like torture and mess. At least I do. That's their argument though. Like if you don't like the word slaughter, then you shouldn't be killing animals. So that's like why that's a narrative. That's like why it's part of the, because if you don't like the way it sounds, don't kill animals, you know? Well, it makes it seem like it's being done in a gnarly way, but I'm looking at the video that you shared that went huge. Yeah. And it's like, I don't remember what you said, if it's a zap or whatever it is, just right here on your forehead and they're down. Like, and like you said before, uh, way more peaceful than being mauled to death, you know, out in the fields. Um, so yeah, can you touch a little bit like on what is happening in the harvesting process? Like, what are they doing with that little forehead thing? And then, yeah, yeah. That, and then is that standard? Like, is that what is protocol? Just like discuss that too. Cause I was going to go back to that too, Courtney. Oh, great. No, this is like probably one of my favorite parts about the meat industry because there's just not a lot of educated people. You go to the store and buy beef or you think it's really sad, this big emotional ordeal and it's not. So uh, to answer your question about this is a bolt gun is what they use. So we have this process down so well. I mean, and I, in my video, I discuss, hey, the US, at USDA inspected plants, which is the majority of meat that you buy, right? I mean, for us to ship out of the state of Montana, we have to be using a USDA inspected facility, which means there is a USDA employee on site at all times. You cannot be harvesting animals at all without a USDA inspector there, making sure that you're you know, kosher, everything's good. So we use a, a bolt gun is what it is. And it sends a bolt in the forehead. I misspoke in one of my videos saying that it was the temple. It's not the temple. It's the middle of the forehead here. I obviously I had people correcting me. They love, they love. Well, you know what, but that's also, I mean, this is a different topic. It's also good to make mistakes because then people will correct you and give your post more engagement and push it out. So. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, no, it does. I think it probably did help. Yeah, so um, the middle of the forehead, we, we put a bolt gun is what it is. And it's, I mean, it's not very loud. It's definitely less loud, I would say, than a, a gun, a rifle, which is also used as a backup method typically. But the bolt gun goes in the middle of the forehead and it basically launches this bolt into the, the brain of the animal and it instantly knocks them unconscious. So there's about, oh, I think that typically you have to 
as soon as that animal is killed, it needs to be hung within three minutes, which I know that sounds kind of gruesome, but it just puts in perspective how quick that turnaround time is. I mean, when I go to a processing facility, the bolt gun basically goes off and in three minutes the hides off like it's quick that sounds really gruesome i know but it's important for people to understand like how quick this turnaround time is like you go from a live animal to a product that people can consume within three minutes and so i think that's important to understand and um, blood tests are being done at usda inspected facilities to test for diseases and make sure that this product that you're consuming is in fact healthy and that we, we take a lot of pride in this kill process because it's pretty seamless and it, it does make a huge difference on our industry for people to understand how quick and efficient it is. It's not an emotional thing. It's just a very, you know, you get it over with. The animal has served its purpose. As I said in my video, it's been uh, over a year. This animal's been alive. It's been fed. I mean, for me, it's it's a very um, kind of humbling process. And I talked about kind of being Catholic, but being able to see, hey, we're super efficient and, and these animals are just for food. That's what they are. They're raised for food. They're not pets. And so it's it's been pretty cool to kind of just watch that. And it is a little bit sad. I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little bit sad to see a cow be killed. You know, I have a little bit of, of a heart and vegans love to tell me that I'm just a a pig that <laughs> that doesn't have any any emotions. That's not the case. Um, we do care for our livestock, and we want to make sure that this kill process is super seamless. And so, I think it's really good for for consumers to understand that por portion of this as well. Yeah, that they're not suffering. Okay, so it's actual oh, like because yeah. you said a bolt, and so like a mm -hmm. bolt is being shot through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. but. What happens, is there any situations where that is like a first line has not worked? Um, it very rarely does that happen. And when it does, um, typically you, you send it, I would say the only thing that would ever happen is maybe uh, you see, so we test for uh, if a pupil is reactive to know before, again, this is a little bit gruesome, but I think it's still important. Uh, we, we try and see if the pupil's reactive, that's how we know that we can uh, move forward within the, the processing. Um, and so every once in a while, there'll be a reactive pupil in it, and we have to either, it doesn't ever happen hardly, but um, you either have to use a rifle as a backup method. And that happens sometimes when an animal's too large or um, just can't keep its its head still as much as we'd like because the animal has to be perfectly still. We talk about high stress situations. Um, I kind of disagree with that. Uh, this animal's been through a squeeze shoot essentially, so it's a um, uh, metal panels on each side. It's been in the squeeze shoot five or six times usually prior. It doesn't know that it's about to be killed. It has no idea. Cattle do not think that they have a purpose in society. I've seen a lot of comments about that. They don't. And that's a whole nother ethical argument, right? Do these animals think that they deserve to serve a purpose in society? I, I would argue that that's not the case, but uh, typically as a backup method, we, we use a, another bolt or we have to use a rifle as a second method, unfortunately. But it, it rarely happens and when it does, an entire plant will be shut down for at least a week, typically, to look at the, the bolt gun and to look at if it's a rifle that failed um to look at that as well and we talked a little bit earlier about uh, other methods if if this is the exception to the rule in this case no this is a hundred percent i would say almost every kill facility operates with a bolt gun it's the most efficient you do see some instances where there's a uh, custom harvest so a butcher will or a processor uh will come out to your facility and harvest your animal with say a rifle but it's a very similar a process to what we see on a kill floor just using a rifle instead of a bolt gun yeah I was wondering that because my when I used to visit my grandparents in Utah my grandpa worked at a slaughterhouse for a little bit and he took me in to like show me around but like very small I mean it was probably like him and someone else I would assume super small so yeah I I'm assuming that wouldn't have been like regulated like it's people that have been like hunting I think like bring their animal to him or something I don't know then it would be a lie never mind yeah. okay that didn't make sense so okay then what the hell was he doing at what would his slaughterhouse be then no, you can do that. No, yeah, you're right. So there are a lot of facilities that you can bring um, your animals that are already killed. So you just bring the carcass in. Okay. Yep. 
sorry, that's all too gruesome too. I need to be better with my word choice. It's all about word choice here, you know, okay, like harvested, so, slaughtered. Yeah. yeah. So that could have happened too. Or if people yeah. are having their own cows, then I guess they would have brought them to that. Yeah. And so we also see mobile kill trailers, which is very efficient and it's picked up a lot of, a lot of speed over the past few years. Uh, basically it's this big trailer and you harvest the animal, uh, kind of what I was saying, you know, you drive out to a pasture and you do the whole thing, you, you kill them there. And then you are able to put the animal into this kill trailer, which is really cool. And so it's a refrigerated trailer that you can hang the animal inside and transport it then to a processor which is probably what you're talking about is you get the carcass it has to be fast don't get me wrong it does have to be quick um to be you know approved and inspected by the usda but it does happen we do we are seeing kind of a trend with these mobile kill trailers and it's a very efficient process i'd say so at like where you guys are when you're harvesting the animals is everything being done there like made into ribeyes and ship packaged and shipped off yeah yeah so we bring our live animals on a tuesday um tuesday night the next morning so they don't sit for more than you know not even 12 hours typically um at this facility they're then run through a squeeze chute <clears throat> so this you know like i say these panels kind of on the side uh they have a head catch so animal's head is in these two panels um, and that's how we harvest them and then the side of the panel actually turns and that's how we we hang like I said in three in three minutes typically you see that animal go from live to product basically and then from there we do a dry aged product so it's typically a 14 day dry age uh, they sit in the cooler and then they're yeah the the next after the, that 14 days are up they come and bring these animals out and they uh and I have a video of this kind of on my on my TikTok too you can kind of see the the full the animal that's hung and then you transport it and process it right there it goes into ribeyes to ground beef to everything um but we do have typically a 14 day dry age and it's all done in the exact same facility typically it, it helps a lot with the USDA inspection to have everything done in the same same building and it doesn't have to be a big building but it does help to have you know everything done right there in the same facility interesting why the three days i mean the three minutes what would happen like mm -hmm. it get rotten all of a sudden like why the three minutes rigor mortis is oh what we okay for. yeah yeah so, so it would be rotten i guess it wouldn't taste good huh yeah it would be gross and, and we talk a little bit about like if the animal is stressed typically you don't have as good of a product so um, we don't want our animals to be stressed when they go through the squeeze chute and they're not, they've done it a million times. They don't know. Um, there's a lot of evidence that suggests these animals don't, they don't see their friend being killed and then think that they're going to get, no, <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. I, I hear this a lot with vegans that they, for some reason, want to think that cattle have the same mental capacity that humans do. And they just don't, um, I get ridiculed for that saying that I'm a horrible person that I don't understand <laughs> that cows can think like humans but they, they don't they don't understand they're not stressed when they go through and it does affect the meat quality if they are uh, overly stressed it gives us a kind of a gamey taste and we don't want that okay well now I have a few more questions now the gamey yeah. taste I thought that had to do with it being grass or what they fed because my understanding is like I also get meat from Costco, which I think is really delicious, but I will also buy the grass fed grass finished occasionally. And sometimes it does have like a gamier flavor. Um, is that like common or is that just like random depending on the cow? Yeah, I think it does have a little bit to do with diet. Um, diet isn't everything with that. I do think a lot of times it is a, a stress thing. So you were talking earlier about like uh, people killing a deer or an elk in the field. And we hear about this gamey taste most often there uh, because of the stress. So if say you um, wound an animal, if you're out hunting, you wound an animal and then it's stressed and it's, you know, it, it's suffering a little bit and you kill it, you end up killing it. That animal's not going to taste as good because it had a lot of adrenaline going through its, its body before it was killed. So it does make a big difference. Um, with, with that uh and it i i think that diet has something to do with it but it, it's definitely not everything i i have noticed with the grass but you get a different taste i don't think it's necessarily the same as being gamey it's just 
um, you know, a little bit unique, more robust is what people, people like to refer to it as. So. Interesting. Okay. And yeah. one last question about this and then, sorry, Devin. Um, okay. I, I have people like mentioned to me a lot, like as much as I eat, I should buy like a cow or half a cow or whatever. And I, I mean, a, a dead one, <laughs> like <laughs> I have one in my backyard, but my concern would be, I mean, cause I feel like once in a while you have like a steak or whatever, and you're like, eh, it was just like a little off or you didn't love it. What if you're then like, you buy half a cow and you're stuck with like a wonky cow. Like, do you guys sell like half cows or do you know anything about that? Like, can I get a refund? <laughs> <laughs> You want to read? No, that's funny. Um, the the company that I sell for, we do individual cuts. That's an interesting point that I hadn't thought much about. Honestly, is yeah, what do you do if you don't like this animal and you have you know half a beef in your freezer that you ha now have to eat because uh, you know, and it didn't turn out well. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't put much thought into that. And I guess that's a benefit of buying by the cut, right? Um, however, it is way more cost efficient to do, to buy half of an animal. I think the biggest thing, it is a risk, is to find a butcher or a processor that you really like um, in your area because that makes or breaks the product. We talk about the kill process. Um, if you're using a USDA inspected facility, that's typically going to be better. Um, just because they have to follow more protocol. So I would say you really do have to kind of just take that leap and take that risk and make sure you're using a butcher a processor that does a really good job and you're not going to have any risk of, you know, this gamey, this gamey taste that we talked about because that is a big risk to take to buy that much meat and then have a product you don't like. Yeah, or even just like it being maybe a little tough. Like we always, I get ribeyes from Costco a lot. And last week we got some and I'm like, eh, they were just in. They weren't as good as they normally are. It's like, what if we had a whole freaking cow of this? Like that happened to my parents. Really? Yeah, they bought like a quarter or half of a, like some sort of Angus like cow and my dad did not like it. So he would not eat it, which is crazy because we have had fresh meat, you know, cause the 4-H and stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, no, it does happen. It does happen. It's very unfortunate. We've had that too. Cause I obviously grew up raising livestock. So I showed cattle, my brother showed pigs. I also showed lamb and my parents would never, uh, have lamb in the freezer. <laughs> a lot of people don't like it. Um, but yeah, we've definitely had hogs, had pigs that uh, we just, they just didn't turn out well. And so it comes down to the butcher and I'd say even travel a little if you can, because in my area, I come from a town of like 300,000 people and we have only a couple butchers that we really trust. Um, and you really have to do your research and just ask around and find out who does a really good job. I'm lucky enough to work with a processor here local that does a phenomenal job, um, but you have to be really careful. And when you're selling direct to consumer, the processor is everything. I keep emphasizing that and I, and I can't emphasize it enough. It can make or break. And when you get into sausage, when you get into ground product, you have to make sure you trust, you know, the butcher. So. Okay. I didn't, that would come into play as much the butchering part as yeah. the cows, how the cow is living and eating. Yeah, no, I, I think that's only a very small portion of it. I think it has to do a lot with the kill process and a lot with the butcher. Interesting. Okay. How long have you been posting all this on TikTok? Not long. I started, I think in July. So I, I mean, TikTok hasn't been around very often, but yeah, I haven't been posting very long. And honestly, it just brings me a lot of joy to feel like I can help people and hopefully uh, educate consumers because whether you buy grass-fed, buy my product or don't, um, as a whole, uh, working in the industry, we just want everybody to know exactly where the meat is coming from. Um, and I think that applies to all industries, but specifically yeah. The industries. Yeah, it's great. I think it's really interesting. I'll be excited to follow. I I, I bet, I, I feel like you're going to blow up because the amount yeah. of like attention my posts get when it's just a steak 
they're going to lose their mind seeing the whole process of it. Like, I feel like that's going to be way more interesting than how I'm cooking the beef. You're showing the whole, like, behind the scenes of the beef. The beef. I think it's fascinating. Look at the dairy farmer who's blown up. I've seen five on TikTok. He's yeah, like, I've seen some of his stuff. Do you remember yeah. his name? I don't even know if I follow no, him. But I've I'll seen send, something. I'll send him over on Instagram whenever I come across him. I try not to scroll yeah. too much on TikTok. <laughs> I hate because I don't like it. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do foresee that happening. I think too. I think you're going to have a, a good amount of, I think you're going to have a good audience. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think it's really interesting too. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it comes down to what my intention is behind the videos, right? And so I'm not trying to post necessarily to have a whole bunch of followers, but the more people that follow me, the better, because I really want this message to get out um, how important it is to just support the industry and to, even if you don't eat meat, like having vegans on my page, I think is helpful. And I've had a lot of vegans and vegetarians comment on my videos saying, hey, I don't eat meat, but I really like what you're doing. And I really appreciate um, you being super transparent and showing what happens in the beef industry or vegans saying, hey, I support this kill process. I think it's extremely ethical because it is. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think the intent behind these TikToks is, is what's huge. And who knows, maybe there'll be another platform in four or five months. You never know. But um, for now, TikTok's been great to reach people for sure. Yeah, the organic reach is still like, it's so great. But no, I'm excited because I feel like, I feel like you being on there is like added backup and support for me just to like help educate these people. Like anybody else that's sharing information on why we are not horrible human beings for eating a cow, like I'm all about. So I'm excited to see more of what you share and how you go about like the whole behind the scenes and yeah, like your word transparency, like that's a hundred percent it. So yay, yeah, good for you. I'm excited for you. Yay, yeah, yeah, me too. It's been great. And I think, uh, I think a testament to um, the quality and um, of work is how transparent a business is. If you don't want someone coming into your facility and seeing the behind the scenes, it probably means that you're not proud of the work being done. And so it's really great to see someone who is proud, who is showing. And it sounds like that's the majority of this beef industry. Like, yeah, hey, we're super proud of this. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that I think is a testament to the work and the ethicalness of the, the industry as a whole and how there isn't a lot of suffering because that's not what you guys want. Right. Yeah, no, that's huge. And, and there is always, I mean, the cattle industry is always going to kind of be under a microscope, I, I think, because um, we start to talk about, you know, the feedlot industry and people really don't like that. And uh, I think within the feedlot industry, even it's important to be transparent there also and, and just make sure that people are, are really seeing the full picture because whether you support it or don't support it, at least then you know, right? You know what the facts are. You're not just listening to someone on TikTok who has never been in the industry who who can't speak on this and that's what's been so great about social media is you get perspectives of people from all over the country who have maybe seen this and uh, actually know that what they're talking about instead of just these PETA people for example posting videos and knowing nothing about the entire process. Yeah definitely now I haven't seen do you mention the company you work for at all or do you have to keep that private yeah as of now I'm going to keep it private I've thought about it quite a bit if um, in the future I can kind of leverage the, the company that I work for and I think it's coming it's something I mean it's a big responsibility to take that on right because I do work for, for a pretty big company and I don't want to necessarily I mean that that goes into my entire personal brand is representing a company and so it it it's a little bit tricky. It's something that is probably coming. I just need to make sure I'm always on my best behavior <laughs> if that were to be the case, because I would basically be a spokesperson for this company. So not yet, but I think in the future, it's something that I would like to leverage. So awesome. Cool. Yeah. 
well, where can our Courtney, do you have any questions or no, you? I was going to say, do you have anything else? I mean, I could talk all day. I'll probably be in your DMs <laughs> later, but yes, please do. like part two, I'm sure we'll reach out to like, I think we have intentions to probably cycle through people again, just to yeah. squeeze out more. But, um, for now, where can people find you? Um, where are you the most active? And so they can, we'll tag you and where they can find you at. Yeah. So Everything's pretty simple. I'm on Instagram and TikTok right now. I try and stay away from Twitter because it kind of, it's hard. It's hard to be on Twitter. But uh, on Instagram, it's just my name, Cassidy Plum, no spaces, no underscores. And then same with TikTok. It's just, just my name. So I try and keep it simple. I don't think I'm on any other platform. You can, you should get on YouTube. You should What's get that? On, you should get on YouTube. I should get on YouTube. That's a good and point. And Facebook. We'll have a little chat after we end this. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. I think that YouTube would probably be good. I've seen a lot of people do really well in that space. I have a lot of words to say, obviously. So these 15 second TikTok videos are tough. Um, so I think YouTube would probably be, be a better platform to hop on to eventually. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will link you in the description box, but thank you so much. Yes, thank you thank for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you guys. I'm excited. Thank you. Bye. Bye.